my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you, stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, You shall not commit adultery, also said, You shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, we've listened to a very powerful passage from James chapter 2. Just look at your Bibles and look at verses 1 to 4. <clears throat> Here we have James describing prejudice present in the one place where he absolutely has no place to be, and that is the church. The picture James paints here is an easy one to understand. The early Christians are gathered for a worship meeting. At the door are stewards, just as we have, to welcome newcomers and show newcomers to their seats. And almost simultaneously, two visitors come in. One is dripping with wealth, maybe an aristocrat. The other is conspicuous also, but for the very opposite reason. His ill-fitting and threadbare clothes mark him out as a poor man, perhaps even as a slave. And the steward at the door, to his shame, allows his attitude to these two men to be shaped by the prejudices and the class consciousness of the secular environment around him rather than by the undiscriminating, classless consciousness of the Church of Jesus Christ, of which he was supposed to be a representative. The steward grovels to the uh, rich gentleman, allow me, sir, to find you one of the best seats. And the steward contemptuously dismisses the poor man with a flick of the fingers. You stand there or sit on the floor. By my feet. That is not just bad manners, says James. It's a most appalling denial 
of everything the Church of Jesus Christ stands for. And in the verses that follow, James gives us four reasons why it is an appalling denial. Let me list them for you. First of all, this prejudice, this class consciousness, discrimination, is out because it is consistent with inconsistent inconsistent with faith in Jesus. Two, this prejudice, this class consciousness, this discrimination is out because it ignores God's special concern for the poor. Thirdly, this prejudice, this class consciousness, this discrimination is out because it flouts God's law of love. And fourthly and finally, this prejudice, this class consciousness, this discrimination is out because it invites God's judgment. And I want to look at these four reasons, and when we do so, I hope we shall see how relevant this chapter is to the churches in our land in the UK. So let's start with the first reason James gives. Discrimination is inconsistent with faith in Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. What class did Jesus belong to? Did Jesus identify with the rich and the affluent? Well, the answer is no. If there is anything that shouts at us from the Gospels, it is the fact that Jesus constantly chose to mix with the poor. He never owned his own home. As often as not, he could not afford to rent one. Remember his famous comment, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, meaning himself, has nowhere to rest his head. Jesus had no means of transport except his own feet and the occasional loan of a donkey. He had no money in the bank. He could not feed the multitudes from his own pocket. Yet, do you know who Jesus was? He was the Lord of glory, the incarnation of divine majesty. Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, says James. Nobody has ever walked this earth of higher rank than Jesus. Nobody has ever deserved our praise and attention as much as Jesus does. He was, is the glorious Lord, but he walked the earth without a status symbol to his name. So, how can we believe in that Jesus, the humble Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth? How can we believe he was the Lord of glory and yet adopt class-conscious, wealth-conscious attitudes? James says it's inconsistent. On the one hand, you boast about how Jesus humbled himself to be born in Bethlehem. Yet on the other hand, you treat people in the church as though they were dust on the floor. Have you not discriminated among yourselves, James asks, and become judges with evil thoughts? And that phrase, become judges with evil thoughts, may be an allusion to the Old Testament law which forbade the judges of Israel to take any notice of a person's social standing when they stood in the dock and when they gave their verdict. 
They were to show no bias towards the rich or any prejudice towards the poor, these judges. And it was precisely that quality of total even-handedness that was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. There, there's no, there was no partiality about Jesus. The wealthy experienced no flattery, the poor no embarrassment in his presence. Can you now see, therefore, how disgraceful it is when class or wealth prejudice rears its ugly head in the church, the community which bears Jesus' name, says James. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we don't show favoritism. The second reason that James cites, he says this, discrimination is out, he says, because it ignores God's special concern for the poor. Look at chapter uh, verse 5 and beginning of verse 6. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit, to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. The Bible never tells us why God chose us to be his children. But it definitely does tell us why he did not choose us. He did not choose us because we were rich. And to make the point quite clear, God has gone out of his way to make sure that the poor are represented in large numbers within the church. Now, it's important to notice that James does stop short of idolizing poverty. The mark of a Christian is not that he is poor, but that he or she is rich in faith. But it is quite clear that in James's mind, such faith is more commonly found in those who have little worldly security to rely on. And that fact is not only stressed by James, but is also stressed by Jesus and many other New Testament writers. Blessed are you poor, yours is the kingdom of heaven. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. God has chosen what the world considers weak. God has chosen what the world looks down on. God has chosen to, to uh, shame the powerful and the important. And why, says James, in the latter part of uh, verse 6, these rich that you are tempted to esteem and to hold in high honour, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones, the ones slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, you may want to argue that James is overgeneralizing here, but there is a lot of truth in his accusation. It is, I think, rare to find a rich man who has any real interest in Christian things. They may come to church to get married or buried, but listen to their language, watch their actions, and you will quickly learn most of them have contempt for Christians. Yet, says James, you are impressed by such people and you fall over yourselves to please them. Don't you realize that poor man, as far as faith goes, is wealthier than a millionaire? 
Don't you realize that God has made him an heir of God's eternal kingdom? And when God brings his new world into being, you will be honored to know that poor man. Well, how dare you dishonor him in preference for some rich hypocrite? Insult the poor and you insult the very people God intends shall principally populate his kingdom. You never know, Mr. Stewart, you might find that poor man, you contemptuously dismissed, standing at the gates of heaven, showing you to your place. Thirdly, says James, favoritism, discrimination, whatever you may call it, plainly contradicts God's love. Look at verses 8 and 9. If you really keep the royal love found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. What Jesus does is to create a new community, what we call the church, where human dignity is not measured by possessions. The Bible says men and women have dignity and are important no matter what their economic situation. It talks about the equality of of, of being. Poor or rich, all must be loved. Not because of what they have, but because of who they are. And this law of love is the fundamental principle of the kingdom of God. It is the royal law says James. Jesus told a story to illustrate this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Asked the expert in the Old Testament. And Jesus answered him, or Jesus asked him rather, to answer his own question. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, the man said. That's right, said Jesus. Do it and you will live. Then Jesus went on to tell a story, the Good Samaritan story, to show just how hard doing that particular law is. For the law does not say, Israelite, love your fellow Israelite, nor black man, love your fellow black man, nor Baptist, love your fellow Protestant. No, it says, love your neighbor. And that story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan eloquently makes the point that neighbor does mean anybody. Who is my neighbour? He is the life whose path crosses mine. The needy person I see on my journey, says Jesus. And the Christian destroys his enemies by making them his friends. He may not despise them, he may not eliminate them, he may not discriminate against them. Indeed, he must not think of them as them at all. For as far as the commandment to love goes, there is only us. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let's make no mistake about it. Wealth and class discrimination is a sin against the royal law of love, found in verse 9. Now, you may be well thinking to yourself, well, favoritism, Charles, is really only a small sin. But according to James, there are no small sins. Look at verses 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point 
is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. God's law, says James, is like a pane of glass. You fracture it at one place, then it is totally shattered. Can a murderer boast that he's not committed adultery? Of course not. Well, we cannot say that favoritism, showing discrimination, is a small sin. Morally, it belongs in the same category as murder. For Jesus said, whoever insults his brother has committed murder in his heart. And the logic of that association is not hard to understand, is it? An insult is an act of contempt against the worth of my neighbour. When I ridicule him or her, I despise his or her existence. It's as if his or her existence did not matter to me. And that's precisely is the attitude of a murderer. He has no respect for the other person's life. He treats another man, woman, as worthless. Well, when we treat a person or a class of people as unimportant, we're as good as murder them. That's how serious favoritism is, discrimination is to God. It flouts God's law of love. And there's no way God is going to overlook that. And fourthly, the fourth and final reason why favoritism, discrimination is out, is that it invites God's judgment upon us. Look at verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now I want you to notice two words here, freedom and mercy. Let me talk uh, politics for, for a few moments to try and bring, bring out what James is saying here. Socialism. The problem with socialism, it seems to me, is that it knows little of the law of freedom. It knows only state compulsion. It tries to break class discrimination by coercion. Well, you can't. All you produce by coercion is a dull, uniform, monochrome society with no liberty for the individual to express his own distinctiveness, his own creativity. Socialism can only make people equal by forcing them to be the same. On the other hand, the trouble with capitalism is that it knows nothing about mercy. It knows only the law of merit. It tries to break class discrimination by trying to give everybody equal chance to get what they deserve, but not everybody is equally matched, so class structures emerge. So socialism and capitalism both have serious flaws, but God's way is different. It combines the freedom the socialist misses with the mercy the capitalist misses. Here in the church of Jesus Christ, no one is compelled. If we share our material goods, it's because we want to, not because we are told to, compelled to. It's an act of love. But equally in the church of Jesus Christ, no one is treated on the basis of desert, of merit. How could they be? If we got what we deserved, we will be in hell, not in the kingdom of God. No, in the church of Jesus Christ, it is mercy that rules. And that means responding to people 
with a generosity based on their need, not on their merit. To live as a Christian, says James, is to live as one who knows that he is judged by a merciful God. The difference between man's judgment and God's judgment is that man's judgment is horizontal. We analyze men into layers, rich and poor. God draws a line down the middle of men vertically, separating the world into two groups, but on a totally different basis. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Jesus told a story to this effect. It found in Matthew 18. Do you remember the story of two servants? One was forgiven much, and then when another servant came to him and asked for forgiveness, um, a debt to be relieved, the servant reacted in a very, very bad way. Having been forgiven himself, he failed to forgive others. He failed to show mercy. So the question is, how can those of us who know the mercy of God not demonstrate mercy to those less fortunate than we are? Why should God show compassion to people like you and me who are poor, insignificant and helpless to him if we don't show compassion to those who seem poor, insignificant and helpless to us? God's mercy is not given in buckets to hoard to ourselves. It's given in a pipe so that it may flow to others. So here then are James's reasons why there must not be favoritism, discrimination, partiality based on class or wealth in the church. And I, for one, find these reasons compelling.